This is Gary Van Warmerdam with the Awareness and Consciousness Podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. And this podcast is on emotional wounds. So if you want to make changes in your life, the the really big way to do it is through the emotions. That's the that's the key to change. Moving out of fear and into love. But I don't start there with people in a process. Typically that that is too daunting. There's a lot of resistance to feeling emotions. There might be a little overwhelm. There can be a lot of responses to feeling strong emotions or negative emotions that, that kind of shut down any progress. And so what generally I help people do, and I do this coaching, I do this in the self-mastery courses, you have to develop some skills before you can go clean up those emotional wounds or you need to be able to have some control over your attention. You don't want to go into the emotions and get tumbled. You need a way to deal with the thoughts that are going to come up because usually those emotions come with very strong narratives, stories. And so you need a way to not believe the thoughts that come up because when you believe the thoughts, you reinforce more of the emotion because they generally come congruent as a package. So to do that, you need to shift your point of view to be the observer of these thoughts. Kind of from that outside viewer point of view, you can be present with the emotion and not believe the thoughts, so you aren't amplifying them. So once you have these skills, you start to then be able to move into what emotions they are or that you're having more effectively to where you can release the emotions instead of just kind of re-injure yourself. Kind of what happens a lot of time when people go into their emotions and, and, and don't have the awareness skills to navigate the mind. I want to talk about the kind of emotional wounds in the history and, and what I'll call our baggage we end up with uh, that we carry around. I'll share a couple stories because we learn by stories. Uh, we remember by stories much better than facts and data. This couple I know, and they were dating. Let's call them Jack and Jill. Jack had planned the date, and they were going to go out to dinner, and then they were going to get to a show. And uh, Jill says on the way, hey, can we stop at the pharmacy and get the cosmetic store? I want to get in a lipstick or something that she wanted. And he says, sure, because he's an agreeable guy. And so she goes into the store, and while she's in the store, he starts thinking, great. Now it's going to be 20 minutes. We're going to be late for dinner. We're going to have to rush through dinner. We're going to, might, if we don't rush through dinner, we're going to be late for the show. He's feeling this pressure for time. He's feeling the frustration of being late for the show, getting there late, trying to think about a way to like, okay, get there faster, park more cleanly, but they will be later and be harder to park. It might even take longer. And he's getting frustrated. And he's getting annoyed with Jill, who's in the store. But this event hasn't happened, actually. What's actually happening is he's replaying a story that often played with his ex-wife, where she would go into the store, say, I'll be right out, and then it'd be 20, 30 minutes later. While he's waiting, and whatever plan he had, now it's like displaced. Jack is in the car, three minutes have passed, 
he's frustrated and annoyed and and uh, just ready to go home. Joe comes out of the store and gets in the car. So okay, ready to go. And in that moment, Jack is having this very strong dissonance, this contradiction between the way his mind had projected the rest of the evening for the next three hours and what reality is happening. And he's confused. He's like, you're back. She's like, yeah, I said it would be. And he's like, I didn't expect that. Why? Because he's using the background associations of his past experiences and projected in the present, and they don't apply. This isn't his last relationship. But this is what we do. Our mind takes its history, has its associations, and projects it onto new partner or same partner or whatever the present moment is, those old associations and those old emotions, those old narratives. And he was fortunate because he could be aware, and it was a very stark reality difference between what his mind was saying and reality, he could sit in that confusion and celebrate the difference as opposed to it being the other way around uh, and go, I like reality. Okay, reality is good. This is good. And realize his mind had projected a whole illusionary scenario with its narrative and emotions of how a three-hour evening would go in this three-minute micro-movie complete with emotions. So the mind is pretty effective at that, and that's what we'll call baggage, or emotional wounds and history, and but it can create kind of a problem. But the other side of the relationship happened also. They went on vacation, it's a different time. Uh, they flew out to a place where they wanted to go on this driving tour, go see some nature. They spent the first night there and, and got up in the morning, and uh, Jill's taking a shower, and she remembers getting out of the shower and coming in the hotel room. She's excited. She's ready to go. She wants to go exploring out into the the coast and the hills or whatever they were going to go do. And, and Jack's got the TV on. And she immediately goes, flash into being frustrated, sad, disappointed, maybe a little bit of anger, but just really upset. Because her ex when they went on vacation, used to kind of just get really relaxed and lazy, and she wanted to go out in nature and go do things, but he was a more sedentary, I just want to chill out and and do nothing on vacation, which really hurt her emotionally and disappointed her because she wasn't getting what she wanted. And so she's having those emotions because the TV's on. And this is a trigger association for the whole history of her other relationship. And she wants to bark and be upset at him and be angry and frustrated. But she's able to hold that back and kind of tone it down to like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm checking the weather so we know what to wear and, and when we go hiking. This flipped a switch in her brain that said, this isn't like that other relationship that I'm playing in my mind. And this isn't the same response. This guy has a plan for going out today <laughs> into the outdoors and is getting prepared for that. And so she could see herself 
and be aware of her own mind projecting the baggage. And be amazed at how fast it happens and how completely contradictory it is to reality. But it's not always that clear. You don't always have that distinction, particularly if maybe the the history and baggage is from the current relationship. You know, then then it is happening. What's key in here, and I'll talk about it in, in this moment, is both of them could see the very strong difference between what their mind was projecting and the reality. Because in this case, it's, it's pretty obvious and it was small. But if there's a lot of emotion, your mind can project a whole story and it will seem, it will feel like it because your nervous system, your body, your emotion is in that feeling. And so that projection is experienced as real. And then it's harder to see that reality is different. But it's very important in this process to change these dynamics, to have that awareness between reality and what you're feeling, thinking, mind is projecting. What you visualize the whole day or evening to be like and have that confusing dissonance, which is really a good thing. It's a good sign of awareness to have your awareness split between two versions of what's going on. And your mind is confused because it's, it's the emotional part has a different version of reality than actual reality. Let's talk about this baggage and where does it come from. And I think it's important to recognize what's underneath it. And what's underneath it in that emotional body, in that being, is unconditional love. If we think of our our human, animal, emotional self like an animal, like a puppy, that's how we're born into the world. Take any old puppy, that puppy is just unconditionally loving and happy and affectionate and joyful. And that's just the way they are until they need to sleep. And then they rest. And then they get up and they wake up and they play again. And they're loving and affectionate. And that's the way we were as children. Carefree, plain, no fears, no worries. And if you've got a good dog, that's kind of the way the dog is. The dog's happy. You can lock him in the trunk of the car for a couple hours and you open up the trunk, they're happy to see you. And that's our baseline emotional conditioning pretty much as children. What if you take that puppy and somewhere as it's getting older, somebody mistreats it. Somebody pokes it with a stick, hits it with a stick periodically. That owner hurts that animal. Well, that's in the beginning of that process. That's outside this animal's experience. So it's going to notice the physical discomfort and pain, but it's got this overwhelming amount of love. So it goes, well, that's just playing. It's a little hard playing. Like, let's go back to play and being loving and affection. But if the repetition of the pain, the mistreatment, the abuse happens, now that animal starts to feel the hurt more that's being inflicted and the joy and love that's its nature less. And at a certain point, there's this confusion state. 
What am I going to get here? How's this going to be? What's this going on? What is this new experience? What is this new world? What is this new dynamic that's happening? Its nervous system is learning. Its brain is learning. Oh, I don't want that. But my mind says, still projecting the old good stuff. So, well, let's, let's go back to being loving. I like that. And so it's projecting the loving, but it gets maybe the mistreatment and pain. So it has a dissonance also, but in the other direction. Certain percentage of the time, that animal ends up with a result of pain when it comes near that owner. Now, it becomes more permanent. It says, I don't want to go near that person. And that confusion goes to fear with a memory of pain. And so it goes into avoidance. And if it goes further, if it gets hit further at a certain point, to protect itself, the other way to protect itself is to fight. And so now the animal becomes angry. It can be really timid, but at a certain point it's like, hey, I've had enough of that. And it's snarling and barking and biting. And now it looks like a mean dog. But the mean dog underneath that is a hurt dog. And underneath the hurt is a loving animal. We have this kind of animal inside of us. And by the time we're adults, we've all been hurt. We've all been turned down and rejected in some way, made fun of, bullied, or more severely, physically, sexually assaulted, criticized, sometimes by people we love, parents. Even if it wasn't physical, we felt hurt in our emotional body and the way we were talked to and rejected or dismissed. We felt not seen, not heard, and that has an emotional impact of I'm not important, I'm not worthy, I'm not loved. Kind of emotional experience that often we put words to and give a belief to that experience. And that belief embeds in there with that emotion. And now you have the idea, I'm, worth, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm stupid, everybody's going to laugh at me, I'm an embarrassment. Whatever your wounding phrase is or stories are, I'm a stupid idiot, there's emotion connected with those words and that's stored in our memory, in our emotional body, wherever you want to call that memory is to be, our cellular body. And we remember the pain with those words and that experience. But, of course, we don't want to live in the memory. That's painful. So we like push it aside, bury it in our unconscious, and go on and, and, and try to make the best of the day or the, the year or our life or our relationship. But like Jack and Jill, something comes up, our mind goes to association. Oh, this is like that other time. We stopped at the store or we were going on vacation. And click, it flashes back and say, here's the memory, here's what's going to happen, here's the pain. Even if it doesn't apply, like in Jack and Jill's case, it doesn't apply. It's coming from this person today, which is a lie. 
that's being projected. And it seems like that memory is still hurting us. But that's not actually what the mind is trying to do. It's not trying to hurt us. It's inadvertently hurting us by warning us. It's saying, oh, here's a pain coming up. Be careful. Much in the same way, if we, probably everybody's burned their hand on a hot stove, pot or pan at some point. And then afterwards, like we're around that stove, we're vigilant. Like our mind remembers, oh yeah, I touched that stove. I got burnt. And we're a little more careful around the stove until we're like, learn to be relaxed again. But for a while, our mind is flashing that memory, that pain when we touch some burner or hot pan. And we can feel it in our nervous system. And our mind is reminding us, yeah, this is what's going to happen if you do that. It's a predictive mechanism of the mind to warn you. This is what's going to happen. So don't, don't do that. Same as the dog that learns not to go near that person who's going to hit it. It's like, oh, dog, you remember? You go near that person, you're going to get hit? Okay, don't go near it. So it looks like the mind is still hurting us by repeating these old stories or wounds or past memories that may be painful, if we're still conscious of them. It's actually this predictive, preventative protection sequence it's trying to accomplish, but it may be flashing it so often that now it's creating more pain or with the wrong associations, well, this isn't that partner, this is a new partner, and they behave differently. They don't spend 20 minutes in the store, okay? And they do want to go out and play in nature instead of just sit around all day. The mind doesn't pick up on all these differences. It uses some associations as close enough, this is kind of like the other thing, and flashes the emotion. You're working with, in your mind, a, an approximation system of protection, not an exact system that knows exactly what's going to go on. It's guessing, and sometimes it guesses wrong. Well, a lot of the times it guesses wrong, but I think it's helpful to understand what it's trying to do. So you see, instead of hating your mind and saying, I got this terrible mind, it just causes me suffering. You see that maybe it's actually trying not to make you suffer. It's trying actually to help with unintended consequences, because it, it doesn't know what it's actually creating. Maybe you can take one layer of confusion out. So these are the wounds. These are the way they get projected. But now there's another layer. You see, we're not just hurt by other people. When they disappoint us, they dismiss us, physically harm us, or... In case of the dog, get beaten. We can also hurt ourselves. For instance, suppose that dog gets beaten most days when the owner comes home. Okay, maybe it's just once in a while when the owner comes home. But he remembers those days. And that owner comes home later in the day. And that dog knows, like, oh, I might get beating today. And it might be thinking forward. I don't know exactly how dog's mind works, but we'll just use a dog for an example. It's anticipating 
the owner coming home later in the day. Its mind is trying to warn it. This might happen later. This might happen again. And what it's doing is it's trying to give the predictive protection mechanism. Hey, this is what's going to happen, so, so avoid this. But there's no way the dog can avoid it. But while it's warning that dog, the mind is warning that dog, that mind is replaying the past hurts and feeling the pain from the past and saying, this is going to happen again, be careful. It's like thinking about that hot stove burning you the whole time you're in the kitchen. And when you go out of the kitchen, you might feel some relief, but then you know later you got to go back in the kitchen and you might get burned in there. And you're thinking about that burn, and you're thinking about that burn, and you're thinking about that burn. And your nervous system is responding as if it's burned. Okay? It's feeling that tension in your body, like, that's going to happen if I go in there. That's going to happen if I go in there. And then you might build it bigger, and you think, well, if I, if I go in the house, I might go in near the kitchen, I might get burned. Like, your mind can build this associations. Like, it's not just touching a hot stove, it's being in the kitchen. It's not just being in the kitchen. It's being in the house is near the kitchen, which is near the stove, which is a place you can get burned. But what's happening is your your mind is spending time in this loop. Warning, 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 this bad thing's going to happen. But you're re-experiencing the past pain each time you get a warning. And so now it's no longer anybody else hurting us. It's not a projected event about somebody else doing anything it's our own mind trying to give us a warning, but that's in overdrive and just replaying past pains. And now it's really kind of self-abuse. Our mind out of control, the warning system gone off the rails, predicting a pain, and replaying the past ones, trying to tell us this is going to happen in the future. Even if it's not, our mind doesn't know what reality is going to be tomorrow. It's just taking past events and projecting that repeated version into the future. For better or for worse. Sometimes those wounds that we get from other people where we're hurt, they really happened, and it's real pain, emotional or physical, that happened, and with a physical pain comes emotional wounds also. Sometimes they're induced by other people, but once our mind learns that, it can go in and we can replay and replay and emotionally wound ourselves just as bad or worse, or at least perpetuate it and prevent the healing. A lot of times these emotions and the stories and the beliefs are in the unconscious and people, they might feel the pain and they don't know why. And I'll, I'll share this here. I've talked to a number of people who, who've gotten into self-harm, self-cutting, and when I talk to them, about why did they do that and what were they thinking? What was that experience at the time? A lot of them expressed it as like when they would cut themselves or something, the way they hurt themselves, 
they experienced it as a relief. And as I got to talking to them, I, I, I got a sense that the relief was they didn't know why they were hurting so bad. And that confusion, like, why am I in such pain? I don't know why I'm in such pain. Like, It's like this confusion. Because nothing's really going on in their life that makes them feel hurt or angry or upset. And so when they when they cut themselves or whatever they do for physical harm, there's like this relief, like I have an explanation now for the pain. It's very temporary. It only happens for whether self-harming. But it's like they at least have an answer for all the pain. If you understand emotional wounds, you can go like that dog that dog that's been beaten and hurt way in the past, even if the owner doesn't beat it, doesn't pay any attention to it for a long time, that dog, if it's had enough treatment and not enough love and affection and care, it's still angry a long time later because it's still hurt. It's still feeling the hurt and it's still feeling the anger from stuff that happened maybe years before. That dog can be a mean, angry dog for a long time without anybody having to mistreat it again. It's still feeling the pain. It's still angry about the hurts. Its mind is still predicting the hurts. And so it's, it's got a fresh wound all the time by its own imagination. And it doesn't know why. But it's on guard for protection. So when I hear of people self-harming, I think there's a kind of pain that's from their past. And they're looking around in the present trying to project what's what's causing my pain, but they don't see anything in the present, so it's very confusing. And hence the relief. So when they do the self-harming, they're like, oh, I have an explanation. I understand this pain now. I have a, I have a way to make sense of it. But if you know about emotional wounds, you're like, you know what, this pain I'm feeling today, I think this might be from 2004, this might be from 1994, this might be from 1974. When I got really hurt, and part of my mind is still replaying the wound, afraid it's going to happen, still feeling the pain, maybe even still angry about it. When you see that dog and that animal, and that animal is your own emotional body, we have those layers of motion. Yeah, for humans, we learn to behave properly on top of it all. There's a denial mechanism that says, I don't want to feel those emotions. I'm fine, or we numb out. With that denial mechanism, I'm fine. Works most of the time until we hit an association trigger and then the fight or flight mechanism kicks in to whatever degree and intensity. And underneath that fight or flight is a fear of feeling the pain of that emotional wound that we still carry. These are just layers of our emotional system that most everybody walks around with as part of their normal life that they're navigating. 
And underneath that emotional pain is a confusion, like, why did this happen? How did, how did this get here? And underneath that confusion is that unconditional love, like that animal is a puppy, and the way we were as children, there's a joy there that still wants to be there, that's part of what's authentic. And as you go through healing these emotional wounds, you get to that part of the work, you get to be in touch with the joy that's underneath it all. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. You go through the wounds to get there. But it's really nice being there. You know, sometimes it, it's work, and it gets worse before it gets better as you clean this up. But then it gets better, as opposed to walking around and perpetually wounded. You know, a lot of people want to go, they go, oh, they'll get a shelter dog and then you heal that dog. You got to give that dog a lot of love. You got to give that dog a lot of patience. And when it gets, you know, angry and it wants to bite or it does bite, what's your job in healing that animal is you don't go beat it. You don't give it the same treatment that it's used to. You have to give it a different reality experience. You have to give it a safe environment to where it's not treated that way. And so that when, okay, it behaves that way, but you're still kind and loving to it, it goes, oh, this is different. Oh, this is, this is not the way I've been treated and where I'm hit and beaten. It's like, oh, this is nice. It has to go through this dissonance confusion to get back to what it is to be kind, what it is to feel safe. So it can let go and say, no, no, I don't need to protect myself with anger and I don't need to avoid and run away. And okay, I think I can do this new thing, which is be affectionate and safe and roll over and let my belly be rubbed, be that vulnerable. So there's a dissonance that happens in the healing process where we have to go, I think this is safe. This might be okay. I got to try this. But another part of our mind is still flashing the warning signs. Hey, this, this is how we get hurt. But it's telling you what happened in the past and projecting it falsely in the future, provided you are in a really safe environment anyways. But this is one of the key steps for healing these emotional wounds. You have to put yourself in a safe environment. You have to be in a sterile environment you can't have circumstances around you where people are mistreating you. That's not an environment where you can look inward and heal. And then when you get around to that, you take care of some practical matters of have a safe environment, a healing environment, where that animal can rehabilitate. Whether it's a dog outside you're taking care of or the animal inside you with your emotional body, healing your own emotional wounds. You need some skills. You need some skills over your attention, like I mentioned in the beginning. You need to be able to use your attention and, and sit in awareness of that dissonance between what the mind's projecting and what's really happening. And that's an uncomfortable bit of confusion. But that confusion can take you out of the story and beliefs 
into feeling different. You also need a skill in releasing the emotions that come up, having a good healing process to say, oh, okay, I can sit with these emotions and I don't need to go to fight or flight. I don't need to withdraw or attack. You need a, a different way to move through those emotions but uh, that's different than the primal animal responses. Okay, those are protection responses. Those aren't healing responses. And to release the emotions and clean out the wound, you need a healing practice. So you need to be able to sit in the confusion, the dissonance, release the emotions. And you need to be able to manage the thoughts that are going to show up. Because when those emotions come up, your mind's going to tell lots of stories. Just like Jack and Jill, they projected on their partner. They had judgments, they had blame, they had stories ready to go. And you've got to be able to go, "Mm, I'm going to refrain and not believe that. And you need to be able to do that. You need the skill of being the observer. To not believe the thought that's going through your head. And that requires a separation of seeing that thought coming from your mind as opposed from you. That separation gives you a chance to not believe it. If if you are perceiving yourself as the source of that thought, you're in the story of the wound. You're seeing the world through the projection of the wound. They are doing this. They are causing me to be frustrated. It's their fault. They are hurting me. That's the projection from the emotion and the narrative of the wound. And so you need the skill that comes with this self-awareness development to be outside the story and go, ah, that's the mind the story tells. And it tells that story at that place in time when I did get hurt. But now that I'm in this sterile healing environment where it's safe, I can see those words and those, those thoughts don't apply and those beliefs, I can let them go. Yeah, there's a few things in this that, that are skills in this new mental gymnastics to work through the emotions. And that's, and that's why I don't start people with the emotions. It's where the, the real work is. It's where the real life changing stuff happens when you work with emotions. But you need some skills of your attention, awareness of beliefs, separation in point of view, to effectively go into those wounds in a way that you can heal instead of just poke around and, and aggravate them. And so maybe something to start with in those skills is understanding patience. If you're new to this journey, you're new to that kind of process of, of healing, notice that you're going to have to give yourself time to develop some skills and how to look at it, all this differently and give yourself time to practice same way that if you've got a rescue dog, that sometimes, you you know, it's going to go sit across from you in the room. It's not going to want to come near you because it doesn't know you and it doesn't trust. You're going to have to be okay with that. You can't go force yourself to go make that dog heal faster. Sometimes what it takes is you're just sitting there and you put some treats out next to you 
And you just sit and you don't move. And it might seem like you're doing nothing. But it's a very conscious nothing. It's a very conscious stillness. It's a very conscious presence with this wounded animal that's hurting and is learning how to trust again. And it's learning to go through this confusing state of creating a different experience. And sometimes that just requires you to sit still and let it take its time. But you are doing very specific things with your attention, your presence, that are effective. And giving it time for those things to work. I hope that helps with the lay of the land of how I see emotional wounds and how they carry our, our baggage from the past into the present moment and often sabotage or disrupt our current relationships with things that are very old to us that we haven't really released and, and worked through the belief systems yet. They give you an idea that it's probably worth doing. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, that healing process. Because you're going to go through and you're going to release the emotions you've been stored in your body. But my experience is <laughs> carrying it around is no cakewalk either. That's no blessing. That's no safety from feeling it because it's still there. Kind of like taking a splinter out. Yeah, you might have to cut in there a little bit. It's a little bit painful. But then it's out for good. And you give it some time for the healing and disinfection and wound cleaning. But then it heals for good if it's cleaned right. Hope that helps with some insights on emotional wounds. And how we might carry them around still. And possibly an insight into you don't have to anymore. This is Gary Van Wormerdam with the Awareness and Consciousness Podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. Hope that helps. This podcast has been about emotional wounds. <laughs>